Welcome to Sonic Talk. It's kind of, um, we had a little bit of a technological malfunction that can't be fixed without rebooting everything. And to be honest, um, it's a quiet su- um, summer. So, you know, we're, we're going to wing it a little bit. So excuse us for not being our perfect technological self as we normally are. Um, but that's the way it goes. Uh, hope you're not Brazilian, perhaps, because uh, obviously if you watch the World Cup, you will have seen that awful, uh, awful defeat last night at the hands of the merciless Germans. Uh, 7-1. Ouch, it was painful to watch. There were shots of people oh, just kind of, you know, in the... Um, well, it just... Oh, well. Anyway, um, so I'm not sure if anyone's actually seeing anything at the moment. Uh, I, so I'm just going to have to say hello to Mark Tinley. <laughs> hello, Mark Tinley. How are you? Hello, I'm all right. Um, apart from my technology issue, which is to do with Touch OSC. Because I bought this thing, didn't I? The... Um Oh, the thing the, that we showed last week. Thing. Yeah, which I've been trying to... Well, I've made an interface for it, but I can't get it to go... I can't get it to send to my phone. So I'll continue to struggle with that as we go go on, I think. Ah, well, that sounds good. Oh, so, that, I'm, I'm very well, personally, that, though. That was the... Um, the What was it called? The Ion uh, Scratch DJ Scratch, Scratch to, to Go. go yeah. Very good. It's... Which way do I go? That yeah, that look, and that was the thing that you stick onto your, your the faders. Was it just faders, or did you get some knobs as well? No, I got two knobs and three faders. It's, it's quite good value for money, actually. It's a clever idea. I've, I, at the moment, the only thing I'm able to do with it is this. I've got it. Ah. You can, I can, so I'm using it, it as a plectrum. I like guitarism, it. but if I play if I play guitarism using my fingers, I don't get that. I can do. Ah. We can go in Greek restaurant mode all afternoon if you like. <laughs> this has got a balalaika preset. No, I need one. No, don't. <laughs> Dave Spears, balalaika presets. Did you guys go come back from Greece? Diddly-ding. Uh, did I? No. Diddly-ding. You've been on holiday. Dave Spears, of course, g4software.com, collector of synthesizers, and uh, man with a tan. An early summer tan, I guess. We haven't had our holidays yet here. How are you? Good, yes. First time, well, first holiday in two years, but the first time that we've ever been away outside of kind of school holidays. My God, what a saving that was. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> A third uh, the price, unbelievable. eh? Unbelievable. And it was quite quiet, which was, uh, at, at least, I mean, it was just, yeah, amazing. You, amazing and no billions, gazillions of kids running around and uh, annoying me. Anyway, yeah, that was all good. Well, that seems like a long time. That's oh. nice. Um, I'm going to have, I just realised I'm going to have quite a lot of difficulty yeah. in, uh, in, in creating yeah. the, um, doing the competition and stuff, but we'll just have to wing it a little bit. But, so, um... There's actually not much going on this week. It's a very quiet week uh, in terms of uh, stuff. Um, not much news. Uh, so as a result, I've kind of struggled a little bit to uh, create any kind of topics for this week's show. So it's going to be a little bit freeform. But of course, I want to say thank you to our chat room. I don't know if they'll even show up if I do that. No, I get well, I get that. But that's not actually the chat room. So it sort of almost works. 
but thank you very much, everybody, uh, for joining us. And also thank you to Isotope, because Isotope uh, still sponsoring the podcast. And in fact, th- this is going to be the last week you can win a copy of Iris, uh, because next week, I believe, it's changing to Break Tweaker. So uh, if you're in after one of those, this is your last chance for Iris. So um, anyway, but thank you very much. Dave, we didn't talk to you, did we, uh, about uh, this DSi Pro 2, did, or did we? Did we, did we get you in the, that week? I think we did, didn't we? No, I The DSi so. Pro 2, the sort of Uber synth, looks kind of interesting, doesn't it? Looks, looks really, really good, actually. Really good. Yeah, I like that filter. And you got a Pro. Well, they, they, Demos uh, were really good. Sorry, what was that? Demos sounded really good. Yes, there have been some more, haven't they? I haven't heard them yet, but um, I, I noticed there was a couple more. I've been sort of stuck in in um, review world. I've got, in fact, if I go to there, we've been reviewing the Presonus Studio Live. I've still got one of the cameras switched in, so uh, you can see it there. In fact, I wonder if it'll work if I could do this. Let's have a look. I've got a... Nah, probably not going to... None of my presets are going to... Oh, no, I'm pressing the wrong button. That might be it. I wonder if the remote control were... were nah. No, I was going to go show it all whizzing around, but I can't. So uh, <laughs> that's that. Uh, obviously, going extremely well this week. Um, yeah, there's a lot. Of, it seems to be digital only, digital only oscillators. You know, nothing wrong with that, is there, Dave? No, no, I don't think no, so. I mean, it, honestly, it sounded it sounded fantastic, and it was one of those things. I mean, I, I think I was on the show when I made some mad speculation about how probably an fm synth just to annoy everybody oh yes that's and right and when was it announced the following day i think that's and right of course, yeah first thing you do is check out the vids and uh, we all just looked at each other and went "Ooh, nice mm. but yeah really cool like it a lot actually reasonably yeah. expensive but hey yeah i mean i guess that's the way that um you know things are going to go why not i mean it's specialist electronics isn't it frankly so um what's our first topic uh, oh yeah this was well i was going to show you but there was a basically a um if you go to the uh reddit uh audio engineering reddit it was just an interesting uh, uh thread which i would be showing you but for some reason that side of the tech is the bit that's not working by a guy called a a stevio uh who's basically ranting about he said my rant about video video quality versus audio quality and he, i was thinking that's actually interesting because you know obviously videos full hd 1080p 4k you know we're getting into these kind of ridiculous data rates or what have you but video uh, audio seems to be stuck in the mp3 doesn't really matter very much and it sort of seems to be a general trend i mean because if you're looking at the way that google has seemed to be dealing with all the sort of music content on youtube and forcing the issue on these little labels and making them sign these highness agreements and just bullying people it's just sort of feeling like music's not music or audio is getting very little love there but in terms of resolution i mean i know we've got the always got the ability to use flack or whatever or lossless but it's not really happening is it and when you consider how much people are prepared to pay for downloaded video in terms of bandwidth they just don't seem to be bothered with it for audio and it's a strange it's a strange world is it not nark well i read that and as you know i used to be a digitization manager for a company called startle which was a division of De- uh, telstar and i did lots of research into audio codecs and stuff like that and i think that that post is possibly missing the point a little because What's happened with video is not really higher resolution. It's better and better 
representation of the of the images that's there. So while we've got HD, when I download an HD video from um, iTunes, say, and I watch it on my computer in HD resolution, everything's compressed at, and at different stages along the way. So my LED flat panel TV compresses things and and the uh, the HD codec compresses things, but it does it all very, very efficiently. So if you put full-frame high-definition video on there, it would be massive. And if you compare the size of a, a high-definition compressed movie to, say, an old AVI format from the, yeah. the, the 1980s, then the amount of uh, uh, visual information stored in that, and let's call it a small file, uh, if it's like only, say, three gigabytes, compared to maybe even DVD codec, which would have been like several gigabytes on a disk, wouldn't it? So the amount of visual information stored in there is stored in there so much more efficiently. And the same has been happening for audio codecs. So there are, there, you know, FLAC, FLAC is one of them. Although it's a lossless codec, it still manages to compress things into a very uh, into a much smaller space um so so um i i don't know i can't see the diff i see that it um we've gone to like 192 kilohertz 32 bit floating point in pro tools or whatever and and we're recording at the highest best possible quality but in terms of like what gets delivered to the consumer it's still compressed to hell and um you know the videos compressed to hell, so it's, it seems to me like they're parallel worlds. Video and audio. We've got heavily compressed video at the consumer coming out of very high definition recording, and the same with high definition definition recording in recording studios. But it's still being compressed to like two fifty six k bps. But but Apple lost the uh, Apple the Apple iTunes codec is is theoretically better than an MP three for most. For most right. things, I'll okay. Say. I see what you're saying. Oh, Dave, you straddle both worlds. I mean, I suppose in a way, because I mean, you like us do um, video work and recording videos, and also worked in terms of audio for video. So, in in many ways, it's, I mean, I guess when you've got the surround sound and what have you, uh, you don't get that with the downloads generally so much, do you? So there's all this sort of we've got higher acquisition, but but the delivery is just I don't know. It, it, as Mark says, it's a curious world. I'm not wildly impressed with either at the minute, to be honest. <laughs> it's funny. I, I bought uh, I mean, you know, MP3s, yeah, okay, you can kind of get away with it a little bit. But even uh, what, what's uh, video stuff? MP2, isn't it? Uh, well, MP4, H.264 is what the web mostly delivers. Uh, DVD is MP2, MPEG2, unless you're going to Blu-ray. Um, yeah, okay. No, I mean, I'm at the minute, I'm doing uh, I'm in the process. Mm. So doing a vid, and that's all at 1920, and yeah. then I'm compressing that down using various things. Uh, and in fact, I had an editor here the other day saying, oh, actually, the easiest way in Final Cut Pro is just to kind of output it like this and then reassemble the segments, and then, you know, he's going to um, hopefully do some colour grading stuff on it, which will make it look nice. But, I mean, I can see all manner of artefacts and stuff in there. It's very strange, very strange. And I see it on the TV all the time. In fact, I bought a new TV, I don't know, what, two years ago, two, three years ago? And was expecting everything to look great, and it doesn't. And you just look. It, it just, just looks, looks worse. worse, doesn't it? It's yeah. getting yeah. worse. 
That's the worse curious. than that is the audio. The audio is utterly atrocious. I mean, it's a Sony TV, and it was reasonably pricey, but I mean, it was like, wow, how can they get away with it? And I actually, with that weird frequency nonsense that I've got going on, is uh, it's almost unlistenable in certain circumstances. But that's probably not down to the actual equipment. That's more down to the broadcast, isn't it? That's the, the, that's what it's what they're saying. Well, sending. I take that out and then put that through. You know, I've got a an old school beautiful sony amp and then through some through some nice speakers and then that all of a sudden it becomes listenable but out of the tv it's like my god where did the money go in developing this it certainly well, didn't go yeah. in the audio i guess the thing is as tvs become smaller and smaller the mass involved in uh, you know that that you that for speakers is much much less you got something that thin or whatever there's not an awful lot of mass in there for speakers and i find that's why when i buy a tv now i try and buy one which has got a bit of a bump at the bottom so there's some mass in there because i don't really want to have to buy you know a home bloody cinema system just to listen to the news or whatever you know it's really or just to listen to a voice that doesn't sound like it's coming out of a pair of headphones turned mm. up loud hmm um, so, yeah, I suppose the answer to that is, you know, yes, you're right. But it, it's a question of standards again, isn't it, Mark? Because, I mean, yes, flak is fine, but it's not being adopted widely at the moment. You know, it's still we're still getting crappy MP3s because everybody's... Because Fraunhofer did such a good job of uh, licensing their technology to everybody in the world, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, there was liquid audio as well, wasn't there? That just disappeared, though, didn't it? Um, but the the... The AAC codec in iTunes is an advanced version of MP3, so it's an, it might even be you know, it's an MP4 standard, isn't it, I think? I mean, it, yeah, it's something that's used in H264. There's only so much, I mean, I think there's only so much you can do with the ears, isn't there? I mean, may, maybe you can get away with more compression in, in visual stuff and sort of hide more things, because, because the, way I, the way I understand that... Uh, the MPEG compression works is it takes one frame and then compares it to the next frame and only stores the data that's changed from one frame to the next. And that's much harder to do with music because I think there's many more transients happening much more quickly. If I move a lens across a, a, a visual field, if I'm moving across a cream wall, the only thing that's going to move is like the shadow in the corner of the room and and maybe the picture on the wall. So I only need to encode the picture and the shadow and I kind of Yes, well, that's that's why you that's why you see that blockiness, isn't it, on uh, on sort of crummy uh, satellite yeah, feeds or whatever. Um, but, but with audio, I mean, if I, you know, you've got so many things and so many different frequencies all happening, it's 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 just almost harder to represent it actually than it is with video. Yes, I think that's why, that's, why don't they just do it as WAVs or AVs, either forty-four one or eighty-eight? I mean, yeah, why not? Yeah, I agree. We've all got you know, decent bandwidth now. It's like, well, why can't I download that? Why can't I buy that and download that? But when I'm encoding video, I quite often look at the video and I notice that I'm encoding my frame rate of my video at 1,000 kbps and then my audio is like 192 usually because it's 48k 16-bit, isn't it, I think? Something like that, yeah. So 192 seems to be the, the chosen frame rate for... DV video anyway, but a thousand kbps, which is less than a stereo 44.116 bit audio feed, is representing all of the video. And then when you when you think about that, that's that's quite extraordinary. How little, in contrast to the audio, is be, is representing the video. It's it seems 
Mm. It seems like you would expect the picture to take up like millions of bytes, and for if it wasn't compressed, obviously it would, wouldn't it? But yeah, I suppose. So. I, I wonder if the the reason that we're still not seeing higher bandwidth stuff is because people are still operating on you know their kind of eight gig, four gig phone storage and you know wherever they keep their tunes on their mo- mobile you know if it was all going to be in WAVs it would increase the amount of storage required certainly on the go because basically you know we're all listening to stuff on buds now these days you know so there's there's very little going on in terms of the main uh, sort of media server type stuff maybe piracy as well I mean if I'm going to pirate a video and I, a DVD say I'm not by the way no of course not because I really do tend to buy everything now because I just think if I don't buy things this film industry is going to disappear and I'm going to be watching very poorly made videos later you know in another 10 or 20 years time there'll be no budget in that either will there so it's better I think it's better to sort of support it and buy things uh, but that's a personal choice and lots of people I know uh tends to take the dvds and copy them and when they copy them they reduce the quality of them and then share them around and they want them in small file sizes so they can share them easily over the web and if that becomes an acceptable standard for watching a film you know maybe because it's free or just maybe because people are used to it um then i i don't know where's the need to develop higher definition audio uh, video yes that's fair enough uh, We've changed from L. It was a, we moved from LED screens to LCD screens, didn't we? Or the other way around, and uh, the drop in quality when that happened is quite extraordinary as well. Because the most recent computer screen I've bought is absolutely hideous, and I can't remember if it's LED or LCD. I mean, it was less money, and I was thinking, wow, a huge, great, big screen, hardly any money at all. This is going to be great, and I plug it in, and it, that's blocky, and the color the colour representations are really wrong and it's just sort of, it's a cheaper technology but it's becoming the mainstay and the more expensive technology seems to have disappeared from the high street stores. Am I right in that? Which way around is it? Uh, LED to LCD. LCD to LED, yeah, that's right. A cheaper technology. I did see the other day that, uh, I think it was Samsung, I think they're doing away with all the plasma screens now. And I mean, at least they had rich, you know, dark, proper blacks. Yeah. Even though they were real gas guzzlers on the energy, which is something I really do have to watch. Jesus, my direct debit went up, like, by about 40%. The day I went on holiday, I got an email saying, we need to change your direct debit to something astronomical. I was like, great, thanks for ruining that. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, it did is you interesting. turn everything off when you went away, or did you leave it all switched on? Uh, no, I always I turn it off when I go away, but normally most stuff is left on. Yeah. So I've really got myself to blame. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, but here, you know, like these monitors, we use these Dell. Um, they're quite big monitors, but they're good, really good uh, uh, LCD panels, but they generate a lot of heat. They really do, whereas these sort of crummy little LED ones are just, you know, much lower energy, which is a good thing, but it just needs to catch up. And it's not very music tech, but I did say it was quite a slow week when it came to uh, topics, and that was certainly one of them, <laughs> one of the slower topics. Uh, there was also another one which I found which was kind of interesting uh, in, this, in the what skills are you working on or would like to be? And this came some, this was posted again in Reddit in the synthesizers um uh, Reddit, which is somewhere where I did an AMA a few weeks ago. If uh, anyone wants to look at it, it was 
moderately interesting, I suppose. But uh, they, there's often some really interesting topics. But I just thought, well, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because we tend to, you know, development is something that tends to move with technology. Sometimes, you know, you stop and you just work with what you've got. But, you know, what? so what? I'm just curious as to what areas... I'm, I'm thinking in terms of music technology and music... Uh, um, technique really more than anything else rather than you know learning how to play bowls or something like that uh, i don't know what about you dave i mean because your your techno the technology that you use in terms of the analog stuff is you know it's not um cutting edge at, at as of this moment in time but you know so what 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 is the stuff that you're trying to kind of go oh, i'd like to be better at this and and putting any time into or want to put some time into assuming you haven't got any uh it's a difficult one at the minute i'm kind of Absorbed in three projects, all of which are pretty demanding at the minute. But weirdly enough, video at the minute is the thing that I've been really immersing myself in, and that's been a that's been a really good learning curve. It's a project that uh, hopefully will be out in September, yeah. and I think all the kind of synth people will love it. I can't really say any more than that. No, but sure. uh, no, that's been a really really good. Uh, interesting learning curve particularly interviewing people there's this kind of knowing when not to talk and leaving that one second pause after they've spoken so you've got all these kind of edit points that's that's been uh, that's been quite an interesting experience because i get so caught up in the conversation I'm, I, it's I very it's, gaps. I, I, it's very it's very difficult not to butt in isn't it <laughs> as i just ably demonstrated there but <laughs> when you're interviewing someone it, it's really hard it, it, to not get you know, so get caught and go oh and yeah and you've got to try and yeah leave the space like you say it feels stilted and particularly if uh, we were up at somebody's house and they told this amazing, it was a brilliant anecdote. And of course the temptation is just to laugh and then carry on the conversation, but you've got to leave that kind of pause for that edit point. So that's interesting. Other than that, uh, I don't know. I just really, I think what I'd love, what I really want to do is just get my chops up together again. I think that's, that, that's something that I really, really do want to spend time on. I, it's funny because the more we delve into technology, the more I kind of realize that, there are some fundamental skills that I lack, certainly in terms of playing, and that, and um, trying to be a better human being. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that. That's always one we constantly work on. I know. How about you, then, Mark? What's your kind of uh, current? I might be able to help you with that. Look, I've been making these. I've been. Uh, uh, I've given that I've moved to Glastonbury. I've been making a, a tarot deck, or similar to tarot deck. It's a a divination deck or a, a deck for aiding with, you know, like when people go to for a reading, they go and ask a question. And, you know, like, oh, am I going to be in blah, blah, blah in three months' time? And then you lay all the cards out. And, well, I thought, you know, I've done tarot reading and stuff like that. I thought, why not make my own deck? So I'm making my own deck. And given that my skills are um, sort of multi artistic, multimedia, I'm going to make a. There's 40 cards in this deck, so it's smaller than a tarot deck, and I'm going to make an album with 40 tracks on it. And um, uh, there's a book that goes with it, so there's a book and some cards and an album. So anything that go anything that goes with that. So uh, better recording of spoken voice. I'm trying to improve the way I record my spoken voice. I'm trying to improve the way I um, arrange short pieces of music. So I'm w- being working with Ableton and doing things on the fly and assigning keys to all different musical parts and being able to hit different keys together and just go like, right, okay, where does this feel like it should be going next? 
And then, of course, this thing. Now, look, I've got it working now. Look. Can you see the green? Ah, awesome. That's those those um, um, ion um, scratch-to-go faders, the, the stick-on stuff that you stick on your touchscreen. I yes, can see. Exactly. I think they're really good. They are really good. And and another area where I want to go with my music is to get everything touchscreen enabled. So these work with Windows 8. So I've moved to Windows 8.1 on my laptop, and I've been using Ableton on on a laptop. Um, I, I think the next step for me is to get a touchscreen laptop or a touchscreen computer, um, and to stick these knobs all over it and to create my own. Um, performance interface based on knobs and touchscreen. I've got a floorboard pedal as well, a MIDI floorboard, which I've been using with Ableton for triggering stuff off and uh, recording things and looping things and doing everything really kind of quickly on the fly, but making it like a performance-based thing. I suppose a bit like Beardy Man does it with loop pedals, but with but that always strikes me as being a bit throwaway. I don't want to lose the thing I'm working on at the end of it, I want to have recorded everything and then to go back. So to have like a creative moment where I record everything and then to go back and make production uh, decisions about it. So but, it, um, it, it, it's, uh, if I understand it, it's, it's kind of part of that is a question of just enhancing the workflow, which is something that we're all probably involved in at all times. You know, if I tweak this and tweak that, we've been doing it here a lot because we've got this, uh, this camera that has got a PTZ head. So I've been trying to figure out how to incorporate like a gaming joystick into it or the switching so that I can switch shots on the camera as well as cameras like I can do in this whole system. And those are things that I kind of, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's, and that all actually, and same with video, I imagine, Dave, you know, whatever you're working on, you have to learn more about it so you can implement the ideas that you've got. And it's, that's something that comes from experience. You start working, so wouldn't it be good if it, if it could just go like this? Oh, right, okay, if I can figure out how to make these two processes really seamless so I can just do it very simply. I mean, that, that's an ongoing thing of development for anybody involved in creativity, I'd imagine, even if it's, you know, graphics outside of computer stuff, right? Absolutely. Actually, graphics is where I completely fall down. Fortunately, we've got an amazing uh, guy who does all our graphics and photography and stuff. But I could spend hours doing something and then I kind of either put it on the screen or present it to Chris or anybody else here and they just look at it and go, that's turgid. <laughs> <laughs> it's something, it, it, I think, the, you know, because my whole life everything's been hourly. And it's always been, you know, my, my whole being's been stimulated by kind of audio stuff. This idea that actually when you put, uh, I see it in my daughter and actually in my wife, she's a good artist and my daughter's a great photographer. And I just look at some of the shots and go, I wouldn't even think of that. And it might look really simple, but it's like, you know, my composition for a photograph would just be rubbish by comparison. And it's things like that. I'd love to kind of, really kind of be able to spend a lot of time talking to somebody who is brilliant at it in order to kind of learn. I think those are the things that uh, are stimulating me more than anything at the minute. Yeah, no, interesting. Uh, I, I, it's just fascinating. I mean, for me, outside of the just general workflow stuff, I'm just kind of, I, I'm interested in, I want to get like... Uh, most synth chops up together in terms of synthesis so i could just we did this thing on the last sonic touch with gaz actually he can't be here today because he's on a session whereby we just plugged as many midi devices as we could via a powered hub into an ipad oh yeah i watched we that. did we so we had three cme keyboards um we've got two of those to give away actually and 
and uh, an Alan Heath Z mixer. And what else do we have? A Z mixer. And we had um, uh, OP1, System 1, Ira System 1. And we just basically jammed at the end. And it actually worked. Apart from the fact that every time you plug something in, all of the sort of lookup tables for the USB devices get thrown out the window. And it's like, oh, you've got to reassign everything. But when you get it working, that was kind of fun. And, that, and me and Gaz actually jammed at the end of it. And it was... I, I, I realised how long, how such a long, long time it's been since I've done anything like that. And I thought, oh, I'd like to do some more of that. And um, so, yeah, I, I just want to get a system up that can work. And that sort of worked. I mean, it was very frustrating technologically to set, excuse me, to set up. But once it was set up, it was like, wow, it's actually quite liberating. It was pretty good. So uh, I'd like to I've- do... Yes. I just want to address something that's come up in the chat room. People are saying, why don't you go out and buy a small controller? And I, and, and I really love Touch OSC because it allows me to create my own interfaces. And going back to this thing, I've got to go back to this thing. That a bit, when you're doing that touchscreen thing on an iPad and you're trying to control something with it, you can't look at it, but I can... Yes, and you're not looking at that, but you've got really a- fine control over this without having to look at it because it's more tactile. So the idea of being able to to, to um, design my own interfaces for things and then to be able to put a tactile element on seems it's that's what I don't know. That's yeah. What I'm no, doing. I, I I dig that. In fact, I think we're going to have to get some of those in because they're only about twelve quid, aren't they? They're really cheap for a set. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Going to do that, and they, and they work really well. It's a clever idea. Um, I think it might be worth waiting for the other one that's on the Kickstarter thing because those look a bit more like uh, they've got a smaller footprint and they might be better for some of the musical applications. But I do think it's a it's a definite step forward, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do it with, like, potentiometers or rotary switches and you've got to go and do all the soldering and stuff, it just takes forever. Yeah. And to be able to, like, throw something up on a screen and go, I want a knob there, a knob there, and a fader here, and I want it to do this MIDI controller and that MIDI controller, and I want this to do tempo change or something, and to just be able to, like, stick the knobs on your iPad and just do it. It's brilliant. It's really I, I could see, you know, what would be nice to see some buttons as well that actually kind of latch, and when you push them in, they obviously make contact, so the light comes up behind them. I mean, that would be really useful, certainly for our switching system, because it's all... It's all just areas of the screen you touch. And if you're looking at the set and trying to switch at the same time, you're constantly having to do this because there is well, no I, positioning. If I position this over a, a string and then each time I touch the, uh, the fader, it, it, it registers that as me touching the touch screen. So I can leave it in position. So you could use this as buttons. I mean, actually, it doesn't latch, does it? But, no, you, but if if you need if you need just touch buttons, you can put it over a you can put it over any object on the iPhone's um, interface and use it for that. And what is it? Is it just like a little? Come on, I mean, we're, we're dwelling on this quite a lot. But uh, as I said, we're a bit bereft of topics. But is there like a little capacitive like pad a, underneath? Oh, right. Let's have a look. Yeah, it's like a pen underneath. You know, like the screen pens that yeah. you get. So this side is a screen pen. This side is uh, conductive material. I, it's not metal, I don't think. I think it's plastic, but it's coated with that sort of fake chromy stuff, which is probably conductive. So when I touch on this side, it's like touching the screen. And then when I move it around, it's like sliding my finger up and down the screen, except it's a, because that's quite a small uh, point on the end of it, it's probably much more accurate than I could ever get with my finger. 
I mean, mm. they're fun. Really good fun. Excellent. Well, I'm we're going to recommend that. Surprised. That's our super find of the... Uh, of the uh, I guess we should probably do an ad now. And the thing is, is, I can do an ad, but I can't play it because I can play the music. Maybe I should just play the music. Uh, although that won't work because you get a black screen. So that's probably not going to work either. It's not quite working for me this week. But suffice to say, Isotope have sponsored the show again. And of course... Uh, excuse me, I'll come back here. Thank you very much. Uh, for some reason, it's not my video playout is not working today. But uh, Isotope, of course, uh, if you've been watching the show, you'll know that they've been giving away a copy of Iris. So I don't know how many we've got. We've got actually a ton. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six or seven copies of Iris we've given away. This is the last week of Iris. But like I say, we're going to be going over to um, Beat Tweaker. And, of course, Iris is uh, a visual instrument. It's a natural uh, for sort of musical inspiration, sonic experimentation. You've got an intuitive selection tools. You can manipulate your audio visually. You can see an image of the sound and draw, select individual events. You'll have to imagine this um, if you're watching the video feed because it's, as I've said. But there's so many things that you can do with it. You've also got a load of sound libraries. You've got up to four kind of elements to each sound you can apply filtering effects all kinds of stuff you can apply spectral filtering so you can select portions of a sound harmonically really uh, intuitive to use and something that's very very good for kind of unusual sound design as well as many other pers- possibilities as well there's uh, sound libraries of uh, wood glass food toys voice voice altered and prepared objects as well as crazy modular synthesizers and pitch percussion with the iris expansion packs you can download a free 10-day demo of isotope iris today at isotope.com and we thank them very much for their sponsorship of the show because uh, they've they've been a great supporter for us uh, um, as we've had them this year as well as last year it's been fantastic so one thing that we do have we have another competition this week and this is going to be quite difficult for me to uh, to demonstrate because obviously um, i can't show you but what you have to do is you have to join twitter and you send out a tweet, basically, which uh, if, once you've joined, you know what that is. And you uh, send that to at Sonic Nick, which is uh, my handle, and also at Isotope Inc. with the hashtag find music in everything. So send a tweet to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. like in previous weeks with the hashtag find music in everything and that's one word all joined up and we've got a little search that will just grab it in fact that's what i did for last week's show uh, and we've got a winner for um for the for for last week and the winner is um a guy called james and his twitter handle is at meridian street recording so that's meridian st wreck all one word and he was picked randomly uh number 86 if you must know and he wins a copy of iris we just have to let the isotope fairy and she will bestow it upon you um in her summer goodness and you will win i'm sorry i know as head has been trying to win for weeks but uh, maybe he'll win next week we you know I, I can't promise anything it has to be a random selection but you know keep trying because they will be giving oh this is the last copy of isotope iris next week the competition moves to um beat break tweaker so uh what you got to do again at sonic nick at isotope inc the two twitter handles send it to them and also the hashtag find music in everything and you can win a copy of iris so and if you if you're just interested in finding out about iris then go to isotope.com forward slash iris there's a 10 day demo that you can check from there as well so um Again, this is a slightly sonically challenged <laughs> ad slot because I can't play it back. I could play it back, but then what happens is the screen will go dark. It's just not sending the screen. Anyway, I'm not in a moan. Ooh. Ooh, what's that, Matt? That sounded interesting. 
Sorry. I, I thought I would try the Chaosolator oh. with the fader. I'm sticking on everything. I've got to... It's, but it doesn't not, work. I can't oh. get at the bloody buttons. Ah, that's one of the problems, I suppose. Just stick it on an iPad, it'll be all right. So, uh, we've done that. What's the other thing? Ah, oh, well, this is another one that I was hoping to watch, but I don't think this is going to play, is it? Because if I play it, it'll just go black, and then you won't hear anything. You can, I can play you a bit of audio. This is uh, Cold Cut. At the s- from a record like this. This is a documentary from 1988 about sampling. Let's see if I can turn that up a bit. That's playing on a Casio FZ1, which I knew you'd be uh, very keen on. And it's just a general sort of essay on sampling. And there's some really interesting quotes in here, which is, uh, you know, in fact, uh, from Will Smith getting jiggy with it. He was saying that um, this is Cold Cuts, Ofra Hazar and uh, Eric B and Rakim break. ...used her voice in the Eric B and Rakim dance hit, paid in full. Haza knew nothing about it. But the, the, the kind of, it's kind of riffing on the idea that basically um, how sampling is. And I wonder whether, you know, this is 1988, so that's kind of how many ever years ago. What, um, what's changed do you think attitudes have changed since then? I mean, some of the things that they, one of the things that uh, I can't remember who it was who said in the video that you know James Brown was kind of at that point he was kind of over. You know his his uh, uh, um, popularity was you know he's still re- highly regarded, but he was sort of more of a has been you know old school. And then the sampling of the funky drummer and a lot of the acapellas and, and you know that sampling generation really brought him into focus again and kind of brought him lifted him back up and brought him back onto DJ's uh, spin and you know anyway their records. I just wonder whether that attitude has changed at all, um, Mark. You know, you and I were probably involved in in music during that sort of s- new frontier of sampling generation. Um, I just wonder, yeah, very much so. Whether you kind um, of felt there was any difference? No hardware samplers. That's it. Cos says in the chat room, uh, hardware samplers need to make a comeback. I, I would tend to agree with that. It's so much easier now. I mean, I I was doing this earlier on. I've got Ableton on my computer, and I just pointed Ableton at my iTunes library. And it reads all of the formats in my iTunes library, and I can just drag things into Ableton, and it tempo maps it all for me. But that means that I'm always going to move the pointers to some kind of loop point and loop something up that already exists, and I can take the whole bloody song and loop up a whole song and and get it to pretty much sit in with the um, with the metronome. So I think the thing that was the thing that was cool about sampling was that you ended up with these sounds on the keyboard, which you could then play around with and play tunes with. Uh, and the limitation of it, the actual fact that you only had like so many seconds that you could do this with caused uh, you artistically to make very clear and definite choices about what was good and what wasn't good. So maybe the fact that it's got easier means that this it's so much easier to make uh, um, a whole load of overlapped sound that sound I, and like my son the other day said to me dad dad listen to this and it was this really weird piece of music that sort of sounded vaguely like the doctor who theme and i was like oh okay what's that and he said it's every doctor who theme from every year that's ever existed all played on top of each other but the the software to do that is basically you put a marker on the beats and it stretches it all up nicely for you and puts all those things on top of each other so 
before it used to be calculators and mathematics and it was a science and it was very difficult to do and the, and the software we have now makes it very easy to do so uh it kills off some of that uh simplistic creativity at the expense of being able to do more but i don't know i like ableton's got a good sampler in it simpler that's a good sampler yeah um I- for sort of you know making dumb things <clears throat> um I don't know what else to say. I mean, I made a track, 10-minute long track the other day. I, I'm in uh, uh, sort of cahoots with Mr. Monday, who was one of the other keyboard wizards from the 80s, and we've decided to make these really long pieces of music, which um, which are basically one-bar loops of music, which we play in our cars for 10 minutes at a time. Because I, I notice when I'm walking up and down Glastonbury High Street, I quite often hear young lads go past, and they've got a piece of... What sounds to me as a an old bugger now like a very repetitive piece of music. So I've decided that it needs to get more repetitive. So I've been driving up and down Glastonbury High Street with this one song, which is basically a kick and a snare, a one bar three oh three loop, and this voice going evil, evil, <laughs> evil, over and over again, really loud. So I, it means that from the top of the high street all the way to the bottom, all anyone hears is like boom, jack. Boom, Jack, and da, 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 and evil, evil. <laughs> but and, and I used simpler to put to put that sample in, or I might go evil, evil. So you're kind of like um, urban urban uh, sampling ter- terrorism, a guerrilla guerrilla playback. Well, Simon Simon's got a house in France, and he picks up lots of hitchhikers when he goes over there, and he said he's going to make a 74 minute version of the same. Thing. And next time he picks up a French hitchhiker, he's just going to play this 74-minute track that's just one bar over and over and over again. I think that's a... I don't know. I it's just, an interesting. I I'm not quite sure what purpose that would serve. We share, it, a, we share a sense of humour. Yes, I suppose that would be it. It's an interesting... I know, what do you think, Dave? Because, I mean... You know, most of your vintage equipment, as we know, is analogue. You know, have you got any vintage... I suppose the, the closest thing you've got to a vintage sample is the uh, the Mellotron, isn't it, really? And and yeah, indeed your yeah. own instrument, the Mtron. But it's kind of... It's not the same thing quite. I have got an Akai S612. Oh. With the quick discs. Although somebody nicked the entire... We had actually Akai a million years ago. I think when this was... I think when the S612 was on its way out, Akai gave us the 612, the hard drive, and the entire library. But somebody's nicked the library of discs. So, but, uh-huh. but just using that little, uh, you know, you've got the start and end point sliders, and then you've got this alternate thing. It's absolutely, I mean, it's just brilliant fun, and you're really, really, really limited. And uh, I've been talking to a couple of people, and we were just going to try and use it on a, on a track just for a bit of fun and see how, mu- how much we could extract from it. I've got a feeling the lowest bandwidth was something like 8K. If you wanted, it might be 12 seconds, I can't remember. But it was quite entertaining. That's, I think what's interesting as well is that somebody pointed out to me the other day that, I mean, and I'm referring to audio plug-in samplers, they don't really sample, do they? No, they, they just, just play that audio that's on your drive and manipulate it. And I think there's a trick that's been lost there the ability to quickly sample something and quickly trim it and then in, try and incorporate it within a track is, uh, is all part of that kind of fun workflow. I have to say as well, as part of the, you know, we, we bought that 
a collection from the estate of the deceased guy. In there is a W30 with all ah. with, like oh, boxes, they were nice. boxes of floppies. They sounded I'm lovely. Determined to dig that out and uh, find that out because that's a prodigy one, wasn't it? They do sound nice. Yeah, they had really nice filters on them. Actually, really whippy, kind of wet. Uh, uh, low pass. Well, they did low pass, high pass, and I think they their multi mode filters actually was quite unusual for certainly in a sample and software. But yes, I agree that that whole thing of being able to sort of grab. And I remember this is the I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you know that thing where to quick sample you switch uh, certainly in S S five thousand S one thousand upwards you have that key group mapping so that you can basically. Assign a key root, you go, duh, duh, and that gives you upper and lower. And what tends to happen if you, you try, you're trying to play it in situ, so you've got all this other multi-timbral stuff going on, and then you switch to the key group, and then the sequence plays, and it just completely remaps your entire program in one fell swoon. You go, oh! <laughs> I don't know how many times anyone did that. I did it quite a lot, actually, but you always remember to save before you sample if you're doing that kind of thing. But uh, I don't Mark, you must have done that, surely, once at least. I did it several times. I remember very, uh, very much so. But what's, wasn't that there was a thing, thing about, like, you'd sample something and you'd have a sequence running and it would accidentally play your sample and then it would be like, whatever. Yeah, playing the whole sample. And you'd listen to it and go, hang on a minute, that's really good, and then take a chunk of that and put that in the track. There's no... There's no uh, Resampling is the thing. happy accidents with, with, yes. with the current technology. Everything's sort of like, I've got this sample, it's in this sampler on a track. And on my next track, I've got a different sampler. So that whole multi-timbral sampler thing did allow for things to go wrong where spurious MIDI channels were firing off samples you weren't expecting them to fire off. I mean, I think uh, and things were on MIDI cables, weren't they? And if you got your MIDI through and your MIDI out muddled up, then all sorts of happy accidents sort of happened. Um, on Adam's, uh, my brother Adam's killer track, uh, the, I think it's killer. There's, there's a, uh, he had a RX five drum uh, no an rx21 drum machine yeah which was supposed to be plugged into the midi out of his uh s uh, his sq80 and he accidentally plugged it into the midi through and so every time that there's this section of one of his songs where it goes through like a kind of a tom pattern but it's triggering off all these those kind of quijas that sound like um animals so it kind of goes <laughs> <laughs> on the bass, I think it's on the bass line of Killer. It's like this really weird thing, but it sort of works. So. Right. Nice. That was a nice seal impersonation, actually, there as well, actually, if you get the gag there. <laughs> <laughs> Kill two birds with one stone. That's interesting, though. There are, are there any other... Because there used to be a big thing about being able to resample from inputs. You used to get it on some hardware samplers, and I know it's... Is it happening in software as well, where you can basically just go resample yeah, this? Because that, that seems you like probably quite... Ableton pretty easily. Ah, OK. You just, and you can just reroute... The, well, you re-record. I mean, you can reroute the whole audio output of the entire sequencer back to another track, and then you can record it and resample it, and then slice it up, and then pick the bits you like. And uh, yeah, it's really quite cool for that, actually. Mm. So that's interesting. I know. What? What? I mean. So, what do you? What do you do when you want to sample, then, Dave? Do you just kind of record it and then cut it in and then drop it in, and you know, do you see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, for me, everything from all of this is all hooked into the computer and 
I'll just root it into there. And that's what I really like is actually taking, you know, if you've got LFOs on this stuff that, it, that they're not clocked and things like that, and actually you can take that and put it into the computer and then tighten stuff up and whatnot. But I like that kind of combination of the both, the rigid and the kind of stuff that flows. I was a demon on the, I have to say, I was a demon on that S950. When I uh, had a studio with a guy, I'll tell this slightly rude story, but um, I had a studio with a guy and he was a complete, he was such a ladies' man, you know, every single opportunity to use the studio to procure women, he was constantly there. And I was the kind of quiet, geeky one, I suppose, sat in the corner, either playing or programming stuff up. He was the man behind the desk, issuing all the orders. And uh, it was very funny. We had these two women in and he was absolutely desperate to get off with one of them totally desperate and she wasn't having it she just wasn't having it and uh i was kind of quiet throughout the whole thing i was sampling this various things and triggering them and just tightening stuff up and using that cursor wheel yeah and she just looked at me doing this and just and on her way out she went if you use a clitoris like you use that <laughs> cursor wheel we're in business <laughs> and the poor engineer <laughs> His ego was immediately deflated. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the parental guidance sticker right there. But uh, yeah, that's excellent. the first time the programmer got the girl, eh? That's, uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> the, yeah, the 950, the, I've noticed actually a lot of people, because I went out to see uh, Adrian Utley um, when we filmed some guitar stuff at his studio no no will gregory's they've they've both got their 950s out and starting to use the 950 again for certain sounds and i think also sampling into it as well to get sort of there's a quality to it that's that uh you know definitely you know it's unique it's completely unique that sample well it's not completely unique because the s900 does it as well but what it's got built into it is a dbx compan compression and expander so compander so when you record something on input, it compresses it. Then they sample with 12 bits, and then when you play it back through the system, it expands it again. And it's very clever because you can record a symbol in there, and you can use 10,000 uh, hertz sample rate. And for some unknown reason, it keeps all the highs. So you were able, I remember being able to put like... I mean, I had a Casio FZ1 and I had an S950, and in terms of the number of samples that I could put in at a at a usable audio quality, even though the S950 had less memory than the FZ1, I could always fill that with stacks of stuff. And then the FZ1 became the secondary sampler, which even though it was a better, uh, you know, theoretically 16-bit sampler, um, the S950 always sounded better because of that compander thing. It works like DBX, basically. Right. Hmm, no, that's interesting. I, I, I guess, oh, I remember, I don't know if I had 900 or 950, I forget, but it just... I just remember spending hours and hours, and there's that, zzz, you know, you just that it had that sort of ratchety yeah, sound, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. we did a, there was we did talk about Akai samplers, well, on numerous occasions, but there was what it was, uh, yes, finger dirt on the around the wheel. You could tell how well used it was because it would just be really grubby all around the wheel, wouldn't it? But uh, and the trick was is if you could get you because you, you could use the number pad to type in stuff really quickly as well. So you just but it's just, it it was so. Got when it, I upgraded my um, when I upgraded my S950 to an S1000, I was told your S1000 will be able to load all of your S950 samples, and they didn't sound anywhere near as good in there. And even though I had a, a two megabytes at, at first in my S1000, which was more than I'd had in my S950, I couldn't get half the bloody stuff in there, and I lost all the bottom end, 
And then the timing went to pot as well. So I think the S1000 was almost, although that became the mainstay of all programmers, that was almost a backward step from the S950. So although the S950 was less visual, it, that, it was a much better sampler, much better. And you could get the expansion board, couldn't you, the extra outputs for the 950. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which always fell out when you were touring. Oh, really? that. <laughs> Every single gig. If you'd ever been on a plane or it got thrown off a truck, you know, if the rack had got thrown off the truck, it was like, take the 950 out, open it up, insert the memory board. What did you get? One and a half, two and a half megs, wasn't it? Yeah, you could expand it, couldn't you, in that? One and a half meg, yeah, I think. Christ. What was interesting about this video, though, Nick, uh, is there's not a lot that's really changed. No, that's what I thought. Copyright, isn't it? Yeah. The copyright situation. But, I mean, I'm I'm steering this back to you because, obviously, you had, you know, your massive big hit. And I thought it was quite interesting when the Cold Cut guys were saying, well, if it wasn't for us, you know, we basically made this woman. And, and, And to a degree... The same thing could be said about the DNA stuff and Suzanne Vega. I guess, yeah. How did you feel about it at that time? Um, I'm trying to think, really. It's, it's such a bloody long time ago. I, I, I guess, I mean, we just, it, it was so unexpected that we didn't really, I, I guess we, there were, the, the difficulty was, was um, the record companies that we were involved with at A&M at the time had a couple of real asses working there who were just basically made the whole thing really unpleasant and were trying to pull a fast one the whole time and and just take credit for stuff and it was all that made it really unpleasant and distasteful when in fact you know talking to the artist she was fine and everything was cool and her management but it's when you got the the record company were like it was just real wide boys and just really sort of stupid and they messed it all up really in terms of the vibe um and it was their political involvement that made it I don't know whether they were doing it on purpose to try and make it like a naughty story so it got, you know, people were felt like they if they were listening to it, they were somehow being, you know, disruptive. I'm not quite sure, but that's certainly not the way it was made. I mean, for us, it was an exercise. In fact, the story of that track, um, if I remember correctly, we were, we were actually commissioned by... Uh, the guy who ended up managing us, he used to work as an EMI rep around London. So he'd basically drive around with an estate car with a boot full of records trying to flog them into record shops. So he knew what was selling, what people are up for. And he said, what you need to do is, you know, he said, why don't you do a sort of Italian house version of La Serenissima, which was what we did. And we'd spent ages on that and it was really difficult. Uh, and I had an M1 and I had the oboe sound on the, you know, it was just like I'd made it all on that, an M1 and a, and a sampler. And then... um the guy I was working with, Neil, he had the idea to sort of put this a cappella track over a beat and we tried it out and it sort of worked and we came up with a couple of things, but it wasn't finished. And because we were getting the budget to go into a studio to, to mix the La Serenissima track, we had to finish, the idea was to finish um, the Tom's Diner one at the end of it, you know, just sort of tag it on, basically. And I was, I, I mean, it, it was my first time in a studio and I was running the whole thing and to bring the whole lot in and mix it. And I found it really distressing and really stressful. And at the end of it, I was just kind of, I was sort of exhausted and couldn't really figure anything out. And I had to mix the Tom's Diner thing. And I, just, I was really quite upset 
emotionally upset because I'd found it so stressful. And my my music partner was working because he was also an EMI rep, but for the Southwest. So he was on the road kind of going to shops in Exeter and what have you. And he couldn't be there. So I was in the studio for like two days on my own trying to mix a record <laughs> that I'd never mm-hmm. done before. And I put the Tom's Diner thing at the very end and I think I put... Some of the music I just sort of threw in there and just kind of roughly came up with him. It was basically, oh, that'll have to do. You know, really, it was kind of how it's... And, and I can't remember... So the, the experience of it was is tainted, but or was tainted by that whole sort of... It, was, it wasn't very much fun to do, actually, the mix part of it, you know? And so when it actually broke and did its thing, it was it was completely different to what I was thinking in terms of my head, how the experience had been, you know? So I, that, was, that was quite unusual. But then, like I say, there were all these involved who just made it unpleasant and kind of I remember we because we won some kind of DMC award for best remix of whatever it was 1991 or I can't remember what it was and we went to pick it up and it was at the uh, Astoria or one of the big theatres in Leicester Square where they had this big DMC bash you know there was a kind of battle mixing and all this sort of stuff and we were on stage and we had to um, receive the award for this and um and there were the, the two A&R guys there who had been basically putting it around that it was their idea and they'd done it, were there as well. And so we went on stage and I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, it was my first time at any of those kind of events. And, uh, and my partner, who was a bit more savvy, just we went up and we accepted the awards and he said, I'd just like to say, I'm not this guy and he's not that guy. So I just wanted to set the record straight. And we came off stage and there they were standing there, you know. And they were just sort of like twats, basically. And they still thought it was funny. But so... In terms of sampling, you know, it was an exercise. I mean, I remember the technology of it was very difficult because, you know, obviously the Akai only had whatever it was, a certain amount. We couldn't fit the entire acapella and the music in it. So I had a four-track, and I would fill the sample memory up and do the pitch bend thing to in the gaps and the breaths to sort of get it in time, and then print it to four-track, load the next verse or the next phrases I could get into it, and do the same and print that. And so it was quite laborious to construct because it couldn't be run in real time. So it was quite a difficult technological challenge to do. You know, even though the Lazarus was really hard musically because it was all in weird time signatures and what have you. But Tom's Diner had a completely different um, technological challenge for the time, you know. And I mean, I, I, God, I know how old was I? I was only like 20 or something, you know, so or, or 19 even. I can't remember now. But so it was it was technologically very challenging. So I didn't really think in terms of what I was, it was, it was a problem to solve, I suppose. But I I agree. The thing was what happened to her voice when it went into the sampler, she became almost like a cartoon caricature of her own voice because it emphasized the elements of her voice. So when you hear Suzanne's voice through the, anyway, it's like, you know exactly who that is. But when you hear it through a 950, it sort of strips away all the finesse and you just get the essence of what that, what that, what that voice was. So it probably made it yeah. even more recognisable, if that makes any Quirky. sense. Yeah. Do you know what used to drive me nuts more than anything else? When my brother Adam does remixes, he gets the record that he's going to remix and he puts it on a record player, like a Technics SL1200, and then he turns his SQ80 on and he sits there and he goes through some different patterns and he did this elton well we did an elton john thing which he basically took the elton john song and played it on a record player and then played played the sq80 and it just stayed in sync for like five minutes and i was going like how are you doing that because when we went to the studio and tried to sync it up we had all those sync 24 issues and 
had to, you know, the bass drum, if the bass drum's on a track anywhere near the sync track, it throws everything out of time. And But he just, I don't know how he does it. He has this, I think he's got like some kind of electrical influence over equipment because he just makes it look so easy. And it's just like, I'll press that button there and I'll press that button there. Those two machines aren't tied to each other in any way. But five minutes later, it's all still in sync while he's working his parts out. Extraordinary. That is. There's a lot of talk in the chat room, which I, unfortunately I can't show again about uh, Liam Howlett. And I remember um, I went up to uh, Psalm because they used to have a production room up at Psalm West. They had uh, one of the rooms there and they were just working on this. And it was, I guess, I can't remember what the album was. It must have been after Fat of the Land or before Fat of the Land when they did it. I think it was the Smack My Bitch Up album, actually. Which I can't remember what album that was, and I remember I, w- I had to go into their room to get something because I was installing Goldfrapp, who were going to be working on a mix up at somewhere. And what I remember is walking into the room, and it was literally like a thick fog of ganja smoke, and it just—that's all I remember about that. But I do remember going in there and and seeing them all sitting around and wondering how on earth they could take so impossibly long to make a record. But um, that's it. I did meet Trevor Horn though. I sat next to him at lunch, in awe. But that was it. That's my story. It's not much of a story, actually. Um, uh, what, is there anything else we need to talk about? I'm kind of, yeah, I, I said we'd be rambling. I was going to play the Brett Domino thing, which was just awesome. Um, I don't know if anyone saw that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brett Domino had to make a hit record, and uh, he just, uh, the, he's very, very funny. And uh, if you get the chance to watch it, I would play it. But uh, it's a quick guide how to show you make a hit, a hip. A hip hop song like Jason Derulo, it fits his own his own song, "Sexy When You Do That," inspired by Jennifer Lawrence. And he's just, he just, he's one of his top tips is just grab an instrument that you have no idea how to play and try and write a musical hook on it. And he uses an, oh, uh, was it a, a bassoon? Bassoon, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. And it's just incredibly comedic. And he's got yeah. So if you get a chance to watch that, you should definitely. Uh, you should definitely check it out. Uh, but I can't play it. Well, I could play the video, but then... Oh, no, I can, actually. What am I talking about? I can play it, but you can't hear it. So I'll, I'll play a bit, and we can just sort of... Oh, look, I'm getting an upgrade to Mavericks. No, I don't think I want to, actually. I, uh, let's see if I play this. Will actually anything happen? This might work. Hi, I'm Brett Domino, and this is my quick guide get to making a hip-hop song. I haven't Step got the video. one, instrumental hook. First up, you need a memorable instrumental hook that's going to get stuck in people's right, heads. Is... Jason Derulo's pretty good at doing this kind of thing. He often has a tootle on a trumpet or saxophone in his songs. Like, there's that one that goes... Or that other one with that's like... Or there's that new one with Snoop Dogg in there that's like... The secret is to play it on an instrument that you're unfamiliar with because you don't want it to sound too good. I've got this bassoon, which is ideal because uh, I, I have no idea how it works. Okay, so first of all, we need a, a kind of funky beat, kind of like a. So then over the top of that, we just make a few notes out of this. Step two, vocal. I won't play it all because we'll probably get busted anyway. That was that's just you got to watch it. It's a, it's a, a very amusing. He's had a million and a half hits, and he does blow hot and cold. But it's a very dry um, humour, very British humour. So if you get a chance to check it out, do. But uh, I don't want to upgrade to Maverick. It's, it's How many a, do you think he sold then? Uh, oh, of it. Um, yeah. Well, had if, a million and a half hits. How many do you think he's actually sold? A few thousand. Or two? Two or three. <laughs> but but the thing is, is his uh, channel is monetized. So a million and a half hits 
would probably earn him a reasonable amount of cash. Because when you get those uh, Zeitgeist videos, when you get a lot of hits in one go, the CPM goes up because people go, oh, this is something that everybody's looking at rather than a slow burner. And the advertisers flock to it. So you get a better CPM. I'm not supposed to talk about that, oh, am okay. I? Um, I'm not oh, sure. No. Yeah, the first I rule made of YouTube. Some money today. No. I did. Okay. I, um, I sold a crow to somebody in Glastonbury for £6.66. A crow? A dead crow, yeah. Uh, okay. I think you're going to have I to found, explain yourself. I, when I went on the ferry walk uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago, when I was on my way to see the fairies, I spotted a crow at the side of the road, quite a nice, freshly killed crow. So I put him in... Well, as I'm now a dog owner and I carry plastic bags with me, I put him in a plastic bag and I brought him home and put him in my freezer. <laughs> and I advertised him on uh, the Glastonbury notice board, but no, no one was forthcoming. But I found a taxidermist on the high street and offered her, offered her the crow for £6.66, pence, which awesome. is a fitting, I think, for <laughs> such an item in such a magical place. And so I, I uh, bought my lunch with crow money today. That is just one of the best stories I think I've ever heard, Mark. Is £6.66 the going rate for a, a flat crow, then? Well, I, I did say to her, I'm not really sure how much to charge. And she said, well, to be honest, it's a dead crow, so it's not really worth any money. <laughs> um, but then she did agree to buy him for £6.66 because I think she saw the humour in it as well. So This is an ex-crow, yes, as the chat is. So if you, if you really want to see him, there's a picture of him on my Twitter feed today because uh, when I pulled him out of the freezer, I took his photo. So I think I've, I've embedded or pinned the post on Twitter. Wow! With the, with the catchphrase "core blimey." Ah, oh, nice work, nice. Work. So presumably <laughs> you're going to see this crow in some sort of glass case, you know, uh, sitting upon a branch, looking more like an alive crow once it's been stuffed, w- right? Hopefully, yeah. I mean, I did say I'll come back in a few weeks and see what you've done with him, and she said, "Oh, it'll probably be a month or so." But yeah, she's got an art piece that she's got planned for. She did say. <laughs> She's had a, an owl in her freezer for six years. <laughs> if she's as uh, if she's as uh, sporadic as I am with creativity, maybe it will be a while, or maybe not. I don't know. I'll I'm, go back. And, I'm guessing taxidermy I'll, is probably uh, one of those things that's very uh, hot and cold. You know, you get a job and you don't. You know, I mean, I can't imagine. She's got some great stuff in her shop. Really interesting things, actually. <laughs> Is there um, a shop called Great okay. Stuff? That would make absolute perfect sense for a taxidermist, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> or great, great Stuffed, even. I don't know. That's uh, uh, Yeah, that would be a really good name. I was going to send him to my friend Becca, who also does taxidermy, but then I reckon that, you know, like when you go in the post office, they, now they say, what's in the package? If I say <laughs> dead, dead crow. crow, then they're going to not let me send it. Because <laughs> if you send things with batteries in and stuff, they get really upset. And I'm sure there's a law about sending dead animals to people in Britain. But Carrion, yeah. I, I, especially I, if they have nars for them. <laughs> it could be seen as quite, quite threatening behaviour in, in some circles, I'd imagine. <laughs> wow. That's that. That's such an awesomely um, tangent, tangenty, tangenty story. That's that's brilliant. Um, and the weird thing is, the weird thing is, uh, the, the, about half an hour before I popped into the taxidermist, I went for a voodoo reading on Glastonbury High Street, and I, and the guy was sort of saying to me, "Have you got any blockages?" Because I I saw this voodoo <laughs> reading thing, and I thought, 
I thought that looks really interesting. Like, you know, there's millions of tarot readers around and all this. And I thought, what is a voodoo reading? I've got to go and find out. So I went for one. Um, and he said, have you got any areas in life that are blocked? And I said, to be honest, I can't make any money. I just don't seem to ever ask anyone for money. I always do things for free. So I think he's unblocked it now, that the voodoo man. So I've been voodoo unblocked, so I can now ask people for money. So rather than give the taxidermist the crow, I made some money there, you see. Okay, so it worked. It's all going to change. By next year, I'll be a multimillionaire and I'll be driving a, a I don't know, something nice. Or, like a, or the, so you'll be like the kind of the, the road king millionaire, the road kill millionaire. I could be. <laughs> Wow. I'd need to buy a bigger freezer then, won't I? Yeah, that's true. Freezers, chest freezers are very expensive to run, actually. Must uh, must say, in case you were thinking about starting a business where you had to keep roadkill in a chest freezer for any periods of time. <laughs> okay, then. Right, I'm not quite sure what to say after that, apart from maybe it's time that we... Um, that we uh, finished this uh, this this uh, charade that's masquerading as a show. Um, all my entirely own fault, uh, as I said, but slight technical issues. And also, there's a lack of news. It's summer, you know. There's not much. I suspect that next week we'll have more to talk about. Um, and if so, you know, I basically, you know, if you have a topic you'd like to consider, just send it in. You can Twitter it to us. You can send an email. There's a contact form on the site, which I believe works and everything. Um, so yes, just send in stories, and we'd be happy to uh, to consider them for the for the show as you can tell we probably need some but thank you very much to everybody for joining us also thank you very much to uh isotope for um sponsoring the show um though i'm not sure after this week that that's going to continue for that much longer remember you can win a copy of iris if you really want to um which would be good actually so uh isotope.com forward slash iris to check it out but if you want to win it you have to tweet the hashtag what did I say it was? I can't remember now. I've written it down, haven't I? It's written down here. That's right. You have to tweet uh, find music and everything, hashtag find music and everything is one word, uh, to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. And uh, we will um, pick a winner for next week. And then after that, it's going to be back to break tweaker. So, but thank you for joining us. Um, been much appreciated. And um, yes, oh, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can subscribe. There's a button. Please, we would like you to. We do other videos and they're often much better than this. Anyway, <laughs> Dave, <laughs> thank you for joining us, Dave. Uh, I, I'm glad we've, we've managed to tear you away from your business. I know you've got lots of things on the go, and we're very much looking forward to uh, finding out what they are at some point in the future. I know you're not the person to ask for any kind of deadline or any kind of promise on anything, so I won't push you on it, but thank you. Thank you very much. And also, Mark... Um, I, I don't know. I was I was trying to think of something witty to uh, to introduce you, outroduce you as to do with crows and taxidermy, but I can't. So I'll just say Mark Tinley, MarkTinley.co.uk. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us as well, and thanks for that fabulous story. You're very welcome. That's uh, a great one in the chat room. Um, uh, uh, Sonic nine two two five has said Flatbird dot Inc would be uh, perhaps a good website <laughs> <laughs> for the name of it. I wonder if there is one of those. So um, that's it for this week. I will now uh, stop the recording and uh, we'll see you next time. Everybody have a, a great week in the meantime. Thanks very much in the chat room for those joining us. Sorry I couldn't feature you this week. All that will be sorted for next time. So that's it. Fade to black. <laughs>